Luke 24. And we're going to be in verse 36. Luke 24. And starting in verse 6. It says, As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled? He asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate in their presence. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we hold in our hands revelation from you, that it's not just a book, God, but it is alive and it's active and it's sharp at work in our lives. I thank you that you open our eyes today to the wonder of it. Holy Spirit, continue to translate us to the message. And we thank you for what we'll receive from you today in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So we are almost finished with our series on the book of Luke. This is the first time that I've ever spent this much time preaching out of one book of scripture and I have absolutely loved it. You throw in Wednesday night Bible study uh, in, in that evening every week uh, and, and we'll be coming to just a little bit greater depth than the stuff that we've already gone over and it, it, it's even better. It reminds me of what Luke wrote at the beginning of the book in chapter one when he's writing down why he's doing this. He says, it seemed good to me to write a narrative about the events that were fulfilled among us. And he says, I've carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. And the scripture still today gives us certainty in our hearts about the things that we've been instructed in. That's why I encourage you, bring your Bible, bring it with you. Look at it when I'm going through this to make sure first that I'm telling you what's in there is actually in there, right? That, that I'm telling you the, the truth. But when you spend time in the scripture, it is alive and it's and it's life to us. I read just this week uh, in a book I was reading. Uh, it, it said this is why we need the Bible, because our natural intuition will give us a God that is just like us. Right. Scripture teaches us who God is and what he's like. And without it, we're left to just our best guess 
in our heart and in our mind. And what they were saying, what that author was saying is we tend to remake him in our image because that's all that we know. But scripture comes and reinforces to us. This is who God actually and truly is. So here we go. This week, last week we we read about how the risen Christ, victorious over death. Remember Easter, we covered all that. He he appeared to two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus, which basically almost on the road to nowhere. He showed up on the road where they were, right where they were, not where they were supposed to be, not where they should have been, but right where they were. And we saw that even though he confronted them about some things. There was some confrontation there. He also took the time to reveal to them who he is. Amen. And they said, this is our connector to where we are today. After that time with him, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked to us about the scriptures? We need to go back to Jerusalem. We need to go back to where we just left and join up with everyone else. He set their hearts on fire. He set them back on the right direction. And then they get amongst the 11, the other disciples of Jesus, and they begin to tell them, they made known to them uh, in, in describing what had happened to them on the road. And what we're, where I started reading today is right where that left off. As they were saying these things, as they were talking about Jesus appearing to them on the road, it says he himself stood in their midst. So here they are talking about Jesus and he shows up again. Right. And we know that that happens even in life today, even for us. When you start talking about Jesus, the room changes. Right. There's a change in atmosphere when you start talking about Jesus. And and he even says where two or three are gathered, I am there in the midst of them. I'm there in the middle of them. But here they were saying these things. They're talking about him. And it says he himself stood there in their midst and said, peace to you. And they freaked out because they're in here in a room. Jesus not in there. All of a sudden, bang, Jesus is in there right in the middle of them. And it freaked them out. It, It says he himself stood in the midst of them. When it says it twice there like that, it's an intensive amplifier of, no, I want you to understand, this was Jesus, he himself. Peter used it uh, when he was writing and quoting uh, the Old Testament. He said, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. It's an intense emphasis. When you have both of those together, you could have just said, he appeared in the midst of them. He was right there in the midst of them. But when you say it twice, it's to add intense emphasis to the fact that this was actually Jesus, he himself. Now, now again, just think about where they are mentally, emotionally, even physically right now. All of this has gone on. They, they watched Jesus be arrested. They, some of them watched him be crucified and beaten. Some of them ran and uh, hid, but knew all of this had gone on. Jesus died on the cross and was buried. And then they begin to hear these things about the tomb being empty and Simon running down there and seeing that he wasn't there. And then maybe there were angels there and they don't know what's going on. They don't know what to do. They they have this intense uh, desire to, to be with Jesus. And all of a sudden, 
he appears in the room. He's standing in the middle of them and he says, peace to you. A normal, just a normal greeting would be like saying, just popping up right here in the middle of the room and going, hey, good evening, everybody. And it freaked them out. They, they, they were, they, they were so startled because imagine your mind trying to comprehend what had just happened. I mean, it would be enough if somebody just appeared in the middle of the room, right? That's a pretty big deal. Our mind's not going to be able to wrap itself around that. But then when it's Jesus and everything else that's been going on, their, their minds are trying to reconcile what they're seeing and what it understands to be impossible, Right. I mean, we, we've all experienced something in life where it was just so far out of the norm that it didn't feel real. Right. That it just felt surreal. Is this really happening? Almost like you were watching it on television. Right. Is this is this actually taking place right now? It's usually if something really intense happens, like if there's a car accident in front of you or there's some type of, you know, something that's so out of the ordinary and out of what you expected that it seems surreal. This is what they were dealing with. And it says that they were startled and terrified. Startled, again, all of a sudden somebody's there. You've had that, right? I scare, I scare Kelly all the time, unintentionally. I'll come in from work, I'll come home for lunch, and she'll be doing something, and I'll walk down the hallway. She didn't hear me come in, and all of a sudden she turns around, and I'm there. She goes, ah, what are you doing? I was like, I just came in the house. I didn't... I didn't mean to scare, but why? She wasn't expecting me to be, so she was startled, right? So that word means that you're either about to hit the door or the floor. Like something has startled you, scared you, put you, so they were startled, and then they were also terrified or thrown into fear. And you have to think that some of that is not just the initial, oh my gosh, that just happened, but it would be different, you know, I come home from work and I do that. It would be very different if I had been, I don't know, dead for a week and I showed up all of a sudden and she was just like, right? You're like, what is going on? And then plus, we know that they didn't really handle Jesus getting arrested and, uh, you know, tried, beaten, crucified. They didn't handle that well. They weren't, or I should say this, they weren't proud of the way that they handled it. Right. And so there has to be some of, oh, my gosh, he had told us all this stuff. He told us, don't pray lest we fall into temptation. He had told us this stuff was going to happen. And then it does. And we all lose our minds and, and like, he's going to be mad at us. There's going to be some form of judgment here. Punishment. Right. All of this just flying through their mind because they don't know. I mean, they think that this is a ghost or the spirit of Jesus in front of them and they don't know what's going on. They don't know what to do. It says that in verse 37, they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why? Because he just popped up in the middle of the room. It's wild, it's startling, and it's intimidating. And I do believe they were expecting some judgment and punishment. And so there's fear that comes with that. But his greeting was what? Peace to you. Peace to you. It reminds me when the angels appeared to the shepherds in the, in the very beginning of the book to announce the birth of Jesus, to announce the birth of the Messiah. And they were terrified. Why? Because the sky was filled with angels and they thought, surely that means we're going to die. But what did he say? Peace on earth, goodwill toward 
men. We mean you no harm. So look at verse 38. Jesus says, why are you troubled? He asked them. And why do doubts arise in your heart? And I can almost pick, I'm picturing them in this situation where he pops up in the middle of the room that everybody starts backing up, right? I mean, there's not much room against the wall. Somebody may be thinking, can I fit out this window? Because this is a startling, terrifying situation. And he's saying, why, why, hey, why are you troubled? Why, why, why are your hearts doubting inside of you? Because again, we, we read in one of the other gospels, they're already nervous. The door's locked. They're jumpy. And then this begins to go on. And, and his first step is to calm them. To calm them. Because there's a truth in our life that fear and doubt will push us away from Jesus. Fear and doubt will drive us away from him and off by ourselves. So look what he calls for them to do. He says, hey, 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 come here. Come close to me. Touch me and see because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see that I have. Look, he even says, touch, look at my hands and my feet that it is I myself. There's that intensifier again. Guys, this is really me. It is I myself. This is Jesus. And he says, come, come touch me. Does a ghost have flesh and bone? And in verse 40, he shows them his hands and his feet. And he draws them in close because Jesus is kind and gentle when we're afraid. He's kind and gentle all the time. That's who he is. And when we're afraid, he calls us to come close and he brings us truth. He's like, this is what you're worried about. Look, touch me. It's me. It is I myself. And it says they were still in verse 41 in disbelief because of their joy. Uh, it, it, they're experiencing so much joy because it is Jesus. But they're like, I don't know. I, I can't process this. I'm so happy that he's here, but I don't know what's going on. And, and we can have experiences with him in life that are so good that our minds don't know how to react. And it'll try to tell me, surely this must be untrue. Surely this is too good to be true. Again, imagine he just shows up in the middle of the room and then he says, come close, touch me. It's me. I'm flesh and bone. Well, that makes it even more impossible because you just showed up in the middle of the room. Right? I mean, it would have made more sense if you were a ghost because you just popped in here. And now, not only did you pop in here, but I'm touching you. And yeah, there, there's, there, there's substance there. There's flesh and bone on him. What is going on? I have no basis for this in my mind. They never dealt with this before. It was so contrary to what they had seen in life and the experiences that they had had. But that's what Jesus is. He's contrary to our experiences in the world. He's a contradiction to the life that we find there. He's not what we expect him to be. And he doesn't act the way we expect him to act. And we can't wrap our minds around it. And they're experiencing all of this in a moment. This confrontation of earthly experience and expectation and at the, at the same time, it's the reality of the kingdom of God. It says while they were in disbelief because of their joy, I think he's starting to get like, OK, what else can I do? All right. Have you all got any food? I, what if I eat something in front of you? Will you believe me then? Have you got oh, some, some fish? I'll take the fish. Yes. It tastes good. Look, I'm eating the fish. It's me. Guys, it's me. 
It goes through hammering this. It was he himself. He, he said, I'm not a spirit. Look at, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, flesh and bone. You still don't believe me. Give me some fish. I'll eat it in front of you. I want you to see that Jesus in his speaking and Luke in his writing here is emphatically presenting Jesus as resurrected and embodied. That he's not absent from his body. He's not a spirit. He's not a ghost. And at the same time, he's not just back from the dead. He's not just awake from the dead, but he's victorious over death and never to die again. They had seen multiple people awakened from death. Right. You, you can you can count them up. The ones we've already uh, talked about here. And then the other ones like you see Lazarus in John 11. He called Lazarus out of the grave after four days. And then they had supper with him. He's there at the table, reclined at the table while they're eating. So they had seen this before people come back from the dead. But this was different. Jesus rose on the third day, but it was more. And so why is he so intent on proving that he is embodied? That it's him, that he's there with flesh and bone. It wasn't just to calm them down. It's because the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to the gospel. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to the message that they were going to preach. He wants to make sure he emphasizes this point again, not just to calm them down, but so that they understand what is going on. I want to read to you when Paul wrote about the resurrection in first Corinthians Chapter 15. He said, for if the dead are not raised, because that was an argument, right? People were saying there is no resurrection. This is just you know, like good ideas. This is just how you it's a great way to live. He said, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. And then down in verse 20, he said, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. He said, if Christ is not raised, then your, your, your faith is in vain and what you're still in your sin. If Christ is not raised, your sins aren't Forgiven, He said, but Christ has been raised. The first fruits from the dead, the first one who opened the way for all the rest of us. He said, death came through a man. We, we were given death from sin in the beginning through Adam. He said, so also the resurrection will come through a man. Flesh and blood man. With this encounter and others after his Ascension, he is setting up some of the non negotiables in the gospel. He wanted to make sure they understood yes, I'm I died as a man, I was resurrected with flesh and bone as a man for you. He's a risen savior embodied, and why is that important? Because it's proof that he beat death, he didn't just come back, he won, it had to give him back. Death wanted to keep him and couldn't. It had to give him back. 
He went all the way down into what we're most afraid of, went all the way down to the bottom of it. And then it had to go. We can't keep you here. We have to turn you loose. Why? Because he had done nothing wrong. He's a risen, embodied Savior. What was lost by a man in Adam was won by a man in Jesus Christ. Because what man did in the beginning was instead of receiving, he decided to seize on his own. Instead of what was receiving what was given, he decided he would take what was being, he thought, withheld from him. But Jesus came in the likeness, it says in Hebrews, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil and free those who were held all their lives by the fear of death. This is why he needed to show them. I didn't just come back. I'm not just a, a ghost. Right. This is me. I won. It's I'm more than when Lazarus came back. I'm more than when Jairus's daughter came back. I'm more than when the widow's son came back. I came back as the winner <laughs> over sin, death and the grave. Remember when we talked on Easter, he became like us so that we could become like him. So he's both startled them and calmed them with his physical presence. He freaked them out and he's like, no, look, it's, it's me. Come, come close. Come and see that it's me. And then he reveals the message that I'm almost done. He reveals the message starting in verse 44. He says, he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He covered all of it. He said it must be fulfilled. And it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. We can't understand spiritual truths unaided by God. On our own, we, we can't understand it. We can't wrap our mind around it. He has to open it up for us. And aren't you glad that he does? We see him do it for them and the spirit of God does it for us. Look at verse 46. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. He had preached to them that the Messiah would suffer and that he would be raised. And here he tells us why. So that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be preached. So that it would be proclaimed to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. What would be proclaimed? The gospel. The good news that God created us to be with him, that our sin separated us from him, that our sin couldn't be cleansed by good works, that we couldn't do anything to get rid of it, that paying the price for our sin, Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And that everyone who would come finds it available and that eternal life with him begins now and lasts for forever. That's the gospel. And it happens because of what he did. 
He said, I told you this was going to happen. But he unlocks the, the, the new part that I don't remember seeing anywhere else in the book of Luke so far. You may can correct me. When he said the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Repentance, changing the way that I think. I used to think that this was the way to live. I've changed my mind about that. It says repentance for forgiveness of sins. This wasn't talked about before because it wasn't available until now. He said this is going to be proclaimed, but you wait until the spirit comes. Because you're going to be, I'm going to send you what the father promised you because you're going to be my witnesses empowered by my spirit to go into Jerusalem first and then into all of the nations, which is why we're here today. We're part of the nations. We're not anywhere close to Jerusalem or anywhere close to the time that Jesus's feet were walking in the dust of Jerusalem. But yet here we are. Why? Because the message went out and it kept going out, empowered by the spirit because of what he did the work that he accomplished. He, he was pointing out to them, look, I have a body so that you can receive the spirit. I'm embodied so that you can receive the spirit to empower you to be my witnesses and proclaim this gospel to the nations. So the same comfort that they got from being told, hey, hey, come close. Come see me. Come put your hands on me. We receive that same comfort today. The fact that he rose flesh and blood victorious for us. Amen. We can experience all the things that they did in life. We, we run into things that make us afraid that start us. You want to talk about fear? We just talk about the fear of death. There's a fear there that we Experience and again, fear and doubt try to push us away from Jesus. But He appears to us just like He appeared to them, or at least similar, right? Christ, our blessed hope, is clearly presented to us in the gospel. He appears to us when the message goes forth and we find the call from Him to come close. Even though we're not worthy, even though we are sinful, we hear the call to repent and have our sins yes. forgiven. Amen. Come close. See, see, let me show you who I am. Let me, let me tell you what I did. He calls us and he welcomes us. And then he opens our minds and our hearts to understanding and knowledge of who he is and how this life really works. And then he empowers us with his spirit to be witnesses for him in the nations. To bring that same message that was clearly demonstrated before us to others. And, the, and they start that whole cycle too. It's so important. He himself stood in the middle of them. He said, I'm flesh and bone. Come touch my hands. Come touch my feet. Come close to me. Come and see. Because this is important for you to understand what I accomplished so that you can tell others about it. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. And then we'll get ready to sing together as we as we leave today. Father, thank you. 
Thank you that when we are gathered, you are in the midst of us. God, thank you for your presence today. Lord, you're always with us, but it's a special presence when we turn our attention to you in worship. God, and when we worship over your word, when we talk about your goodness and your love, your attributes and your character. God, who you are and what you have done. Jesus, that since you saw us in our sinfulness, we, we shared flesh and blood with one another. And so you put that on. You were incarnate in this world, but without sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God through you. I thank you that you became like us so that we could become like you. I thank you for pointing out clearly and emphatically and without doubt that you rose from the grave victorious, that you were enough and that you continue to be enough. I thank you that it was a calm and a comfort to them. And we find that same calm and comfort today, regardless of what we face in life. You are risen. And if you are risen, it doesn't matter what we face in life because you are our hope in this life, at the end of this life and for everlasting life. You are our hope. And I thank you that you've made that available, that repentance and forgiveness of sin that began to be proclaimed from that day when you appeared to them and has continued to this day that continues to bring life and hope everywhere that it goes. I thank you that it'll continue to multiply that on the inside of us and others will receive through us the same message of life and hope. God, as we get ready to leave today, I thank you that we leave in peace and unity together with each other. And I thank you that you protect us, keep us safe. And as we go into this week, I thank you that we carry this message with us, this message of the resurrected king, the one who laid down his life, who didn't have to, but chose to and rose again on the third day to prove that his sacrifice was sufficient. Once and for all. And I thank you, Lord, that you will use us to be an encouragement this week to those around us. Encourage our hearts through our time with you, God, but we will be an encouragement to those around us. A light in dark places. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your love. And I thank you that you are always with us. In Jesus' name, amen.